Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. I remember um, for many years at uh, the end of uh, retreats, I would, um, at the closing circle or the closing ritual or whatever closing moment was there, I would, uh, I, uh, I would cry so much. I would uh, usually go out and hide in the woods somewhere or in some <laughs> parking lot or some, some place and just cry and cry. And the thought was always pretty much the same was, do not release me yet, you know? <laughs> I'm, do not let me loose in the world, you know, like, there was a recognition that there was so much still confusion and, um, and patterns in this being that could be harmful for oneself and, and, and for, why do you guys always laugh with us? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I really felt, I think there was some discernment in there, like a recognition that the job, you know, was really not done. And, and, uh, and uh, after a few years of practice, I would end the retreat and, and, you know, be okay with the fact that it was time to go home. And even nowadays, I'm more like... Um, really um, have, um, I mean, definitely confidence I do have, but there's another quality that is, um, I'm curious. I want to go see how, you know, the, as the expression says, how the rubber will meet the road, <laughs> the Eightfold Path. <laughs> um, and particularly, I, re I remember one retreat here, one long retreat here, there was, like there will be in the next few days, uh, little groups happening around different things, you know. Uh, you might have seen practice in Asia or, uh, you know, lower than 35 or some, something like this group. And I was in a circle group and the, the per there was a first statement that was made by the host of the group, the person leading the group. And then it was followed by Pascal, who was uttering this completely sarcastic joke <laughs> and I remember but this was not at the beginning of practice this was well in the practice <laughs> and I just remember sitting there and thinking wow this is so unuseful you know <laughs> this is so off the mark you know this is so off what I've been trying to do for the last weeks you know but at that point there was like yeah this is harmful and this is probably going to happen again. So it's better to be present with it and be engaged with it and do what's appropriate to do. And after the meeting, I went to see the person and I said, oh, that was, that was sarcastic, you know, and probably not. And the person was like, oh, no, no, I thought it was funny. But uh, I don't know if you can see the difference. In one, in one, I would have hated myself. And 
And in this new version, there was just like, actually really want to release that kind of pattern. Not helpful. And it has momentum. I have to be realistic. I've trained that for years, you know, to be intelligent and sharp and destroy an idea in the f with a few words, you know. And that's not how I want to live anymore. Yet, conditioning uh, being as it is, it's going to take time to unwind this. I have to be responsible, you know. So tonight I want to talk about, um, um, I want to include uh, more in the field of our practice, because we've practiced being aware of body, being aware of breath, being aware of sensations, being aware of uh, emotions, being aware of um, perceptions, feeling tone. We tried in our practice to include all experiences. And tonight I want to talk about speech a little bit more, because that's the field. The field is going to get bigger starting tomorrow. I mean, it's not like we haven't been speaking. You know, we've been babbling the whole time, <laughs> inwardly, certainly, <laughs> many of us, you know, a lot of the time. But tomorrow there'll be like the encounter with the other, you know, and that field of practice of being in relationship and exchanging ideas a bit. We'll do this very progressively, but uh, that's the new um, kind of phenomena that we'll welcome in uh, in a big way, in a bigger way, certainly. And I think, um, I think it's a beautiful field to play in. There can be a lot uh, revealed about, um, well, certainly about our views, well, the way we see the world and our beliefs. When we speak, it's being revealed. Huh? And you might notice um, after the periods of talking tomorrow that sometimes when we go back to silence, the effect, the power of speech, something you'll have said maybe will resonate, echo, reverberate, you know. I cannot believe I said that. You know, that was so big self, you know. Or, you know, uh, or cannot believe I heard that, you know, <laughs> or, or, or uh, impacted by speech, uh, the one we utter and the, the one we, the, what we receive, but also deeply touched by it, having a conversation with somebody and just something is offered of personal experience or, you know, so something will be said and you'll sit back in the silence and it will come like, wow, how beautiful was this thing that this person said in the group or in the conversation in the dining hall, you know. Mm says that um, um, for animal, action is uh, very central in their life. And for, uh, we can consider this, for human beings, speech is where a lot of the beauty can reside, a lot of the opening, sustaining, supporting, freeing oneself and others, as well as a lot of damage can be created. Yeah. And I'll include in this, uh, in this, the way I think of speech, also the written form, which is very, very um, 
prevalent and acti active these days, you know, the texting, emailing, and, uh, and all the, the speech that we receive, the words that we receive and offer through that uh, medium. Bhante Gunaratana says, um, he says that he considers uh, the computer the equivalent of the axe in the old days. And what he says about the axe, he says, in the old days, the axe was, uh, you could do a lot with an axe, but also very, very refined work. It was not just to chop trees, but also to make wood very, very even and soft. You would use the axe to do this. And he says, computers do the same thing. You can create beauty with it, but you can also break with uh, communication on that level. There's another uh, the image of Axe came back, came again today. And I was reading, uh, I, f I ran into this um, here, and it says, uh, it's from the text. It says, every person who is born is born with an axe in their mouth. A fool who uses abusive language cuts themselves and other with that axe. Yeah. So, so speech, the power to liberate, um, we just have to think of this retreat and the words that were, how the words were used here, you know, and how uh, you might recall hearing something that really opened your mind, you know, and the, so the power of speech in this way. I'm not sure, we'll see how it goes, but it might be that my talk is naming a lot of the um, wrong, or unwise, unbeneficial speech. The idea maybe how we could consider this is that if we want to cultivate a really beautiful field uh, and grow whatever we want in it that would be sustaining uh, for our community and for ourselves, we might have to first remove all the rocks and stumps and you know the roots that are in the ground that are keeping us from uh, uh, growing and harvesting uh, um, beautiful vegetables and fruits. And one thing that I, uh, I was going to say this, I think that I like about speech is that it reveals, it's not only speech, but speech, like any action, uh, is, um, comes from intention. So when we speak, it can reveal our intentions. It can also reveal it externally. So we can actually, in talking with somebody, uh, do a beautiful uh, exploration of the Dhamma, of, uh, uh, what's happening for the other person in speech. Yeah? And intention comes from the view, from the understanding that we have of the world. Yeah? A definition that I read uh, about wrong view, you know, I've been talking about this a lot, was, um, it was, um, view is a, described as a decision that consciously or unconsciously we make about what is real. This is a view. And wrong view or unwise view is, um, let's see, it's, um, 
It's what takes what is unreal for real, so it deviates from the real and confirms instead what is false. Yeah? So I see these three being very much related, the views we have, wise or unwise, or you could think about, again, liberating or entangling, and the intention that comes out of this, and then speech that is uttered. Yeah? So the four classic kind of speech uh, that I'll be talking about tonight, you might know them. It's a false speech and divisive speech and um, harsh speech, and then, uh, I never know about this word again, idle speech, empty speech, yeah. So all these uh, four kinds of speech, it says that um, they're led or rooted in one of the three poison, yeah? And so when there is this kind of speech happening, there is something about gain. I want to gain something by using that speech. I want to gain either something material for myself or somebody close to me, or I want to gain some status, admiration, some, some I want to promote myself in a certain way. If it's not led by greed and gain of something, then it's led by hatred. And so there's a, a either a wanting to break, bring down, uh, or this aspect that we don't like to talk about so much, uh, cruelty, and the way I understand it is the pleasure derived from the, 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 from the suffering of somebody else. And I say we don't like to talk, think about this so much because it's, it's very ugly, it's one of the in my mind, one of the ugliest things, having pleasure for the suffering of somebody else. And disliking it so much that I didn't think this was possible in this being. You know? And one time on retreat, and that's not about speech, but still I think it, uh, it can say something. I was um, moving slowly and going towards uh, outside in the foyer there. And just as I came to open the door, um, I saw that outside, because of the little window on the side, you must have noticed this <laughs> over the weeks, I saw that somebody was coming to, to enter, and that they, they were not seeing me, but I was seeing them. And what I did, what I saw myself doing, is uh, not opening the door so they could get in, is that I knew they would actually reach for the door, and I just went like this. And they just went like this. Nothing happened. Nobody was hurt. But I was pleased. <laughs> and I saw that. And I thought, why would one being do why would one do this? What kind of a crazy confusion would let to this? That was a very small move, but it was cruel. And for me at that moment when I saw that, I was afraid. I got afraid and I thought wow, I really want to see this if it happens again. Anything of that nature because I don't want to cultivate this. And this has to be seen. Although it might uh, create some um, 
cognitive dissonance. Like I don't like that. I don't want to see myself like that. I don't want to dis. I don't want to promote my. I don't want to describe myself like that. It's it's of great importance that it is seen and recognized for it to be abandoned. That's the only way. Yeah. And so uh, cruelty, just to bring it in the field of things that can be recognized. And hopefully not, not in you, just in me then, <laughs> you know, but uh, maybe not. And so just a few words on false uh, speech or lying. And just on the society level, it's so important that we can trust each other. That's a really great need that we have. And when there's lies going around, it really uh, can really break the social fabric. And it's good to see this movement on a big scale. And often we, see, we can see this uh, in the political realm, you know, how much there can be a telling of lies and how the effect it has on us and our society, like don't want to go vote anymore because it's all BS anyway, you know, and, and how, how disruptive it can, it can be on a big scale. Um, then on the more like a personal, mm, relational, um, level, one aspect, I, I won't talk about ev everything about it, but just a few little bits here and there. But one effect of uh, lying that I've seen in people a few times now is that uh, how it can remove uh, in somebody else the, their access to their intuition. They'll feel that something is going on and when they ask questions, if they're told, no, everything is fine, everything is normal, or something, then it starts to undermine their uh, trust in themselves, their capacity to read what is happening. This I find very sad that a person, and suddenly the truth is revealed, and the person will say, like, wow, I knew this was going on. I knew it. And I blamed myself, and I distru distrusted myself, yeah? And so for me, I want to reflect on this, because this is something I would so not want to take from somebody. Their capacity to read a situation, to intuit, without information to be able to uh, feel, yeah? I find this uh, worth stopping and thinking about the effect of a lie in this way. And it can be a long, deep lie, I could say, but it could be just a little something that is not recognized and should be. Yeah. We come here and we're interested in uh, the nature of reality. We want to see things as they are. It's very interesting to watch how the mind often actually do not want to see things or t 
talk about things as they are, you know. We'll correct a little bit, hide a little bit. And so it's very telling that the Buddha-to-be, and most of you must know that, that lifetimes before he was to be a Buddha, uh, well, all the lifetimes before being a Buddha from the moment he decided that he would one day uh, be a Buddha, a first one to reveal the, the teachings, to discover the teachings. And it took apparently lifetimes and lifetimes. In that story it says that he never lied because he was committed to truth. Yeah? And sometimes it's interesting when I uh, look at what I said in a conversation or something and I'll say like, am I actually interested in truth or I'm interested in something else, looking good? You know, or what? It can be a, a good question we can bring as a spiritual seekers, seekers of truth, you know. It means, it demands a certain integrity that is of a pretty high level. And uh, yeah, and you can check it out for yourself uh, around this. The thing it, that the teachings say about lying also is that when we lie, we, uh, a lie doesn't come alone. Often it takes another one to cover for the first, you know. And so we build an architecture of lies to sustain the first one. This is stressful in, in and of itself. But also we find ourselves in a cage at some point of lie. Yeah? This is so not unlike the cage we are in right now and we come to retreat to unmake, you know, this mental, this cage of lies, of wrong understanding, of wrong uh, conceptualizing of what is what, you know. We could say that uh, these false perception or mirage-like uh, that we want to clean are lies and we're stuck and we felt it I think I can say safely, all of us, in these last weeks, how painful it is to be caught in confusion, not truth, you know, not rightly comprehending what is happening. And so we can appreciate maybe uh, the entangling nature of a lie. So a beautiful thing to take on, to just... Uh, and, you know, for some of us, it's not going to resonate because there's cleanliness in there. But I would bet that f for many of us, to a certain degree, a certain level of subtlety, there is, there is some richness in there. So, maybe just a quote here. Herein, someone avoids false speech and abstains from it. He speaks the truth, is devoted to truth, reliable, worthy of confidence, not a deceiver of people. Being at a meeting or amongst people or in the midst of um, her relatives in a, or in society, in the king's court, when called upon and asked as a witness uh, to tell what she knows, she answers, um, if she knows nothing, I know nothing. If she knows, she answers, I know. If he's seen something, 
he answers, I've seen something. If he hasn't seen something, he answers, I've seen nothing. Thus, she never knowingly speak a lie, either for the sake of her own advantage or for the sake of another person's advantage or for the sake of any advantage whatsoever. Little uh, bottom of the page note. In the lying, there's an intention to deceive. If there's not the intention to deceive, even though it might not be true, then this is something else. We're not in the realm of uh, breaking an ethical precept. There was not the intention. So the second one is um, divisive of slanderous uh, speech. So when we do this, uh, usually there's an intention there, you know, so to destroy, divide, divide people. Or sometimes in a very twisted way, it's a way to either promote oneself or to get closer, to create connection. That's a twisted way that I've seen so many times in groups. Oh, and by the way, Another little thing, I think you might have gotten it by now, but for me it's a particular kind of talk to give because I feel a lot of heat when I work on this in the last few days. I have a lot of work to do on this. And so uh, it's, um, you know, I'm sitting there like, oh, yeah, yeah. And how it's very humbling to actually revisit again this teaching and work with this. And you'll probably, many of us maybe will, I hope, It feels good to think that I'm not alone (laughs) in that realm. (laughs) And it might be confirmed in the next few (laughs) few hours. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I think it was important to name that. Um, Yeah, so this this twisted way to find affection by putting somebody down. And again, there's this beauty. I keep coming back with this word. I have to start using other, but I use the word beauty a lot when I talk about the Dharma these days. But to actually see this in action, it, it brings heat, it's difficult, but to actually, or even afterwards, to say, it really, this is what happened, to be clear about this, you know. This was not helpful speech, you know. Uh, this is important. So, um, maybe a story here about... Um, divisive uh, speech, just to release some of the tension that could be there. So there was the king um, Ajata Jatsu. I always say his name crooked, but um, Ajata Satu, Ajata Satu. It was a, a king who was known to walk often the wrong path. And he was one of the devotees or the main supporter of Devadatta, who was the enemy archetypal uh, cousin of the Buddha, who wanted the Buddha to uh, fail uh, with his Sangha. And so at some point, uh, this king was talking to the Buddha and talking about his desire and his plan to destroy uh, um, a confederacy that was um, in it, there was the Lichavis. And again, that's a word that I usually 
in the first Lichavi, yeah, the Lichavi people were known to be very powerful, very harmonious. They have they had a good community going, we could say, yeah. And uh, the king wanted their territory, and he was telling Buddha about the Buddha about this plan. And uh, the Buddha said, as long as they live in harmony and they're unified, it's not going to be possible to to destroy them and take over the land. It's not a possibility for you. So the king had this really sick idea of, uh, he thought, if I divide them, then there'll be chaos in there, and I'll come in, and I'll be able to conquer. You know, so I'll, I'll follow uh, uh, what the Buddha said in the opposite direction, <laughs> you could say. And so he sent he sent his prime minister in a meeting where there was many clan uh, men together, and uh, Lichavi were there. And uh, the prime minister, in the meeting with everybody there, did this very simple thing that the king had asked him to do. He went in the ear of one of the Lichavi, and he said, uh, there is a rice in a paddy seed. Everybody knows there is rice in a paddy seed. Did you know? There is rice in a paddy seed. That's kind of a, the sky is blue kind of thing. And so, uh, so there was one of the Lichavi who saw that, that the prime minister of the king was talking with, uh, had murmured something in the ear. And he asked him, what, uh, what, did, what did you say with this guy earlier when uh, he went like this to you? And he said, oh, he told me uh, that uh, there was rice in the paddy seeds. And the other one thought, like, that's certainly not what he said to him. <laughs> no, no, very, you know, we all know this, that in an important meeting like this, that for sure that's lame, you know, that doesn't work. And he told another person of the clan, you know, did you see when they were talking together? Yeah, yeah, I saw. I was wondering why was the prime minister talking to this uh, guy there. And he said, uh, I asked him what he was saying. And what was he saying? Well, he was saying that there was rice in the paddy seed. Like, no, 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 that's, that's probably a spy. You know, that's probably what's happening. You know, they're, they're for fermenting, fermenting something, you know. And, they would, and anyway, so this whole thing started. And there was disruption and then you know, it created a big chaos and fighting over this and that. And when the king came in with his armies and stuff, they were so disorganized that he could easily take over uh, the capital city and the whole land of this. Uh, these, uh. So this whole story starts with uh, divisive speech. Very simple little sentence, you know, the sky is blue. But the intention behind clearly was to divide and it worked really well. Yeah. So he avoids slanderous speech and abstains from it. What he has heard here, it he does not repeat there, so to cause dissension there. And what she has heard there, she does not repeat here, so as to cause dissension here. Thus, he unites those that are divided, and those that are united, she encourages. Concord gladdens her, he delights and rejoices in concord, and it is concord that he and she spread by their words.
doing a little adaptation. Okay. <laughs> I'm having my own personal fun. <laughs> so, um, so harsh speech, harsh speech. There was one um, one uh, monk who was um, he was uh, hold on how do you say that in English is um, foodie. Uh, in the time of the Buddha, really delighted in good uh, curries and, you know, papadam and samosas and the good stuff. And uh, he was really always on the lookout for where was, you know, which monk was invited where for which meal, you know, and where he could get a good, uh, a good uh, you know, delightful meal going. And so in the Devata the enemy cousin of the Buddha, uh, in their little group of uh, unwholesome monks, they were often invited, they were getting invited in uh, houses of uh, people who would make great meals for them. So he, would, he was hanging out with them a lot, n not because of the company, really because of the food. <laughs> and the Buddha wanted to have him understood, understand that uh, it was it was uh, it was very dangerous to hang out with people who had harsh speech and uh, slanderous speech, you know. And so he told uh, this monk of us uh, of one of his prior life. He said, uh, "I don't know if you remember. You probably don't. <laughs> it's not a thing, an easy thing to do to remember your uh, past lives." But he said, "In a prior life, long, long time ago." you actually were a beautiful, uh, powerful elephant that be, uh, belonged to a king. And you were n known to be very noble and uh, faithful and, uh, and um, soft, uh, soft heart uh, elephant that the king loved very, very much. And what happened in that life of yours as an elephant is that at some point, there's a group of burglars who started to um, meet every night to plot uh, their um, bad deeds, you know, um, uh, by your stable where you uh, lived. And uh, so they would spend the night devising plans to hurt people and steal stuff. And, and they were getting drunk and using abusive, harsh speech. And uh, what happened to you? over the night is that you became conditioned by that kind of uh, attitude and speech. And so you became a very dangerous elephant. And uh, you couldn't work with anybody anymore. Every, every time somebody new was hired to uh, work with you, take care of you, you would kill them. And uh, the king was devastated, didn't know what was going on with his, uh, his elephant. And at some point asked one of his... Um, one of his wise attendant, who was the Buddha, to be in a former life. And the Buddha said, I was the attendant of that king, and he asked me to go and find what was going on. And so I went at night, uh, and I discovered that there were these burglars that were meeting just by your stable. Uh, and then uh, I could see how it influenced you, and so I went back to see the king, and I told the king what was happening, and that we should get rid of these guys, these guys, and instead bring wise people to discuss wise matter uh, near to you, 
every evening. And in this way, you were able to regain uh, your sanity and your noble heart as an elephant. So this happened to you once when you were an elephant. So be careful with your obsession with food, you know, because that might lead you in trouble a second time. Yeah? So that was the a story about harsh uh, and slanderous uh, speech from the Buddha. There is a quote I want to read you around this here. This one is about um, receiving a harsh speech. Not so much uh, uh, uttering it, but... Um, and being influenced by it, but the reactivity that we can have. Um, so this is the Buddha again, and he says, When others address you, their speech may be timely or untimely. When others address you, their speech may be true or false. When others address you, their speech may be gentle or harsh. And when they address you, their speech may be connected with good or with harm. When others address you, their speech may be spoken with loving kindness or in uh, inner hate. Herein, because you should train thus, our minds will be unaffected and we will utter no evil words. We will abide compassionate for their welfare with a mind of loving kindness without inner hate. We shall abide pervading that person with a mind imbued with loving kindness. And starting with that person, we shall abide pervading the all-encompassing world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility or without ill will. That's how you should train yourself, because. Yeah? I like the first part where it says, when people address you, the, the Buddha sometimes is just so straightforward. When people talk to you, sometimes they'll, they'll, it'll be the right timing, sometimes it won't. When people talk to you, sometimes they will want to hurt you, sometimes not. When people talk to you, sometimes their speech will be beneficial, sometimes not. You know? To me, that's when I talk about the neck, uh, bringing the field, making the field of our practice bigger, this is partly what I mean. Is it okay that I'll be with people who will uh, talk to me uh, when it's not time to talk to me, that will you know, want to uh, hurt me when they speak? Can I engage fully in samsara, in a way I could say? Can I totally be there for it and use this as practice? Say, how can I uh, remember sati, it's mindfulness, but also remember my values of respect. Here's a beautiful challenge, you know. I think um, Pema Chodron, somewhere I was leading, she was saying, uh, you know, these, these, um, these people who uh, confront us or... Um, make our life uh, miserable in a way. Um, uh, just saying it, it's, um, it's like somebody who uh, 
it knocks on the door, you open the door and the person passes right by you. They go straight in the basement of your house without asking anything and they make a lot of noise and then they come out with this and they say, is that you, yours? You know, showing you the most ugly thing you have hidden in your house, you know? And they say, and what do they get, these people who do that for you? Your friends won't do that for you. I mean, unless you have a really good teacher, but often it's the enemy that will do that for you, will show you your reactivity hidden. What do they get? They get misery, they get hatred, they get nothing. All the praise goes to the Buddha and to your teacher. That's who gets the, you know, the praise. And these people, they do tremendous uh, stuff for you. They reveal your stuff, but they won't get anything. So at least, can you offer them compassion? You know? <laughs> So, so harsh speech. And the last one is uh, empty uh, speech or idle speech or empty chatter. And uh, uh, this is another one that we can uh, become aware of. And the way I'll talk about it, maybe just for now, is... Um, uh, the, would you be interested, curious to hear the um, list of the kinds of speech to be avoided by contemplatives? Con contemplatives? Any contemplatives around? So here's the list. Whereas, uh, whereas some priests and contemplatives uh, living of food given in faith, so here we're talking about monks and, uh, and nuns, but uh, um, it's interesting to know this, you know, the, just to consider the list. Um, some of them are addicted to talking about lowly topics such as these. I think there's 30 of them. I'm not too sure. I didn't count them again. But So talking about kings, robbers, ministers of state, armies, alarms and battles, food and drink, Clothing, furniture, garlands and scents, relatives, vehicles, villages, towns, city, countryside, um, people, heroes, gossip of the street, gossip of the well, tales of the dead, tales of diversity, meaning philosophical discussion of, over the past and the future, crea the creation of the world and the sea, and talk of whether things exist or not. Contemplative, uh, abstain from talking about lowly topics such as these. This, too, is part of uh, virtue. Interesting, no? I mean, the list gets very short. That makes for, like, this. So, um, uh, here's another. Uh, I'll continue a, a few of these because they're interesting. So, um, whereas some priests and contemplatives living of food given in faith are addicted to debates such as these. You understand this doctrine and discipline? I'm the one who understands this uh, doctrine and discipline. How could you understand this doctrine and discipline? You're practicing wrongly. I'm practicing rightly. I'm being consistent. You're not. What should be said first, you said last. What should be said last, you said first. What you took so long to think out has been refuted. Your doctrine has been overthrown. You're talking rubbish. 
you're defeated. Go try and salvage your doctrine. Extricate yourself if you can. <laughs> he, she abstains from debates such as these. <laughs> this too is part of virtue. This you have to adapt, you know, like when, when we, uh, to see if you're going to do this about your doctrine in practice, you know. It's interesting. Um, So maybe what we should talk about. Are you interested in that one? Why should you not do this? Such talk, monks, uh, is not uh, related to the goal, is not fundamental to the holy life, does not conduce to disenchantment, dispassion, cessation, tranquility, higher knowledge, enlightenment, or nibbana. When you have discussions, monk, nuns, contemplatives, you should discuss suffering, Period. (laughs) (laughs) You should discuss suffering, the arising of suffering, its cessation, and the path that leads to the cessation of suffering. Why is that? Because such talk is related to the goal. It conduces to disenchantment, to nibbana. This is the task you must accomplish. So what I uh, like in this is that it's saying that wise speech is not just for community harmony, which only this would be amazing, not just for interrelational harmony, not just for personal well-being, not just for personal well-being in the future, but it is actually a tool to wake up. You know? Very powerful tool to wake up. So maybe a few, um, i name a few other patterns that uh, we might notice with our speech. These patterns are related to uh, the way we speak, but also our intentions, and again, our, the way we understand life and, and how it can be far. It's a, a use of speech that is entangling, uh, enslavering. I just want to be careful with that word, but we need very strong words here too. So, all or nothing uh, talk. So, you know, you're always late. I mean, I want to get a little specific about things we, uh, how we use speech here. You know, you're never like this. Or I, I'm so stupid, you know. So, it's, there's, the nuances go out. And so there's many patterns of speech that we have that tends to exaggerate like this. And it's not onward leading. And we can do this habitually without uh, seeing it. And we have to bring attention to this. You know, presenting somebody as completely compassionate. They're completely compassionate or they have no compassion whatsoever. You know, and this kind of way that we talk uh, sometimes... um, People being good or bad, wonderful or terrible, you know. Um, so, uh, and magnifying also, catastrophes, I will never get over this, you know. Uh, even uh, there's a friend, I was having a conversation with them, and I was saying, I don't know how it came to be, but I was saying to this person, I, I love this 
person so much, I, al- I want to be with them always. I say, oh, so you love them a lot right now, you know, just... And the feeling you have now won't, makes you project in the future, <laughs> you know? But, Anicca, you know, <laughs> the, can you make a statement that is true? Like, you feel very strongly right now about uh, this person, you know? And um, so... A part of the exaggeration or like uh, all or nothing is the selective uh, memory and the way we use speech in this way. That we'll remember just, you know, we uh, remember just the bad things of that weekend or that person or self. Here we're very strong on this, many of us, uh, uh, self-hatred. and, and and, and that, using selective recall, so using our mind, but also our speech seeing, maybe using a, when we speak, noticing what we're saying to correct the vision, or correcting the vision and speaking in whichever way it goes, you know, to, to be attentive to these uh, patterns of speech. Mm. Another one is a kind of mind reading, you could say, yeah, where um, because you feel something, it becomes truth and it's presented as that. So I want to bring, it's, it's about speech here, you know. They wanted to harm me. So the vision is, is there's a mistake there. It might be true, but it might not be. And so the description using uh, speech is not right. It's not, it's not I felt, uh, you know, uh, defended or um, I, f- I felt fear. There was a, so the way we use speech again, and, and it can distort uh, stories for ourselves and others. Another one maybe is uh, the should statements, and bring attention to this. They should be like that. It should not have happened, you know. And, and suddenly the, the beautiful practice that we do here of really considering how things happen to come together, that they're conditional. The conditions were such that this is what happened. Not it should not have happened. It should have happened because it did. So to stop and start with this, no, this is what happened. This is what was said. This is what was understood. This is what was misleadingly understood, or misunderstood, rather. Yeah? And then work with this, the the conditions. And in our habitual way of speaking, we'll just uh, kick the wisdom out. The the wisdom of causality will be kicked out. Yeah? The wisdom of... um, Another one would be the wisdom of uh, selflessness. You know, in the way we use I... Is the I that I'm using conventional or, you know, magnificently attached, you know, totally identified, you know? We can, uh, we can see this. Yeah. You can think also of, um, I mean, the power of speech, think of uh, the inner speech of the last weeks. Was it truthful, factual, or could there have been here and there, a little exaggeration, you know. Uh, was it kind or harsh? 
the language, the inner language? Was it uh, divisive or more uh, bringing harmony? The inner speech, only the inner speech. You know? Was it always beneficial, timely, uh, useful, or was it sometimes idle and empty? Just asking the question, <laughs> it's amazing when you look at the tons of words that were said, you know, piles of words that were said in this mind, how much of it was useful, beneficial, timely, you know, kind. Wow. Reality check. So yeah, maybe take a, just take a moment and uh, maybe I'll ask you a few questions and you can uh, reflect, you can close your eyes if you want. So of these um, speech uh, pattern that I named, of, uh, unwise speech pattern, harsh speech or un- untrue, idle, gossip or divisive speech, which one is your kind of a more habitual pattern, if there is any, that you see, you've seen here on retreat or you see in your life. It might be important to reflect on the gratification aspect of these uh, patterns of speech. So, for example, what, uh, what's good about putting somebody down? What feels good? How does it feel good if it does for you? What it, would it uh, feel like to always protect someone else's uh, reputation? What's good, what feels good about putting myself down, if that's a pattern of mine? What would it be like to always bring a great respect for this being in my inner speech or outer speech? What does feel good about um, presenting myself in my best angle, you could say, or embellishing a bit even? What's good about, what feels good about harsh speech? How would it feel like to abandon that?
maybe uh, different uh, questions, two, two or three more different questions here. How, uh, how, how do you uh, think that this retreat could uh, influence your use of speech? What has changed in you that could positively uh, affect the way you communicate? And how do you feel about uh, giving speech more space in your life again? starting uh, tomorrow. How do you feel about that? Is there something you fear about this? How do you think you could uh, create, uh, possibly create trouble for yourself and others in the next few days around speech? What kind of mistakes are, do you think you could make? And lastly, maybe, what could help you? In bringing a speech healthy speech in your practice in the next few days. Thank you for your reflection. So just in conclusion, maybe I'll say um, Know, being aware of the body can be a great way to be uh, uh, speaking and, and listening. Being aware of uh, mind states, intentions, very central. So all the tools that we've been, uh, all the ways that we've been exploring mindfulness are welcome in uh, speaking and listening. Yeah. So attention to the body, attention to the breath, Attention to mind states, intentions, feeling tones. This is unpleasant. It's very unpleasant. So that I don't speak to avoid that, run away from that, deny that. Or, but just that it can be included in the feeling tone that I feel. Yeah. Um, maybe just a few, um, finish with this, a few um, six little um, kind of instructions um, from, um, what's his name, Gregory Kramer, sorry, who does the Inside Dialogue, beautiful practice that you might want to research or read about, or experience in retreats, where you learn to do a Dhamma practice while dialoguing. And there's six little... Uh, could talk about it a whole evening, probably, but I'm just going to throw them out there just to, 
inspire you. And so these six little uh, instructions are pause, relax, open, trust emergence, listen deeply, speak the truth. So the pause, to come back to body, to bring mindfulness, relax, to bring the ease, the receptivity, the open, maybe to bring the inclusion, opening to the other, to the field, sometimes we say, just to the space, being with somebody else. And the trust emergence, the acknowledging the unknown creative process that things can emerge. I don't have to know everything. Listen deeply and speak the truth, maybe the courage that is in there and the the honesty. So pause, relax, open, trust emergence, listen deeply and speak the truth. Or anyone that you can remember. We'll talk about more about speech again tomorrow. So maybe we can uh, just stay here in silence for a few seconds. Yeah. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I am committed to cultivating loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. Titnatham. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.